0: I I get books. I like books. Books just come to me, and I read a lot. Uh, This one just came in the mail a week or so ago uh, by uh, Garrett Sutton, Esquire, and Jerry Detweiler. If you look back on my blog listing, you'll notice I I interviewed Jerry, a financial expert. The book is called uh, Finance Your Own Business, Get on the Financing Fast Track. I I haven't read any of it, uh, but it looks kind of cool. It's interesting because I didn't ask for it. It just kind of showed up. Another one I didn't ask for, I was visiting a client a couple days ago in Portland, uh, just up the road, and while I was waiting in sort of their lobby, there was a book there called uh, Traction, Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Mares, How Any Startup Can Achieve Explosive Customer Growth. And I started looking through that, and I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. They had a chapter on trade shows. And I, I made a comment. Uh, I said, this is kind of cool. He said, take it. It's, it just arrived. You can have it. That's fine. Okay, great. Uh, Brendan Burchard, I got his email, and he offered his new book called High Performance Habits. Just pay the postage. Kind of a neat marketing tool. Uh, how extraordinary people became that way. Again, I just got this yesterday. I haven't had a chance to crack it. Uh, I was going through some other stuff, and I this wanting to do some networking things and kind of get a little handle, a better handle on on that, because I'm not a good natural networker. Most of us aren't. This is called Build Your Dream Network uh, by J. Kelly Hui or Hoey. Forging powerful relationships in a hyper-connected world. So, books. I got. I got books. I got books. Uh, I've written a couple. Uh, you may. I may have mentioned them on this program. Trade show success: 14 proven steps to take your trade show marketing to the next level. Trade show superheroes and exhibiting zombies. 66 lists for making the most of your trade show marketing. Uh, we'll get into that just in a little bit. So, these are both available on Amazon. So, books. 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 Up. Uh, Hey, it's Tim Patterson, Trade Show Guy, and this is the Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee for October fifteenth, twenty eighteen. October fifteenth is when estimated taxes are due. I know, bummer, bummer. I had to bring that up, didn't I? But you kind of, as a as a self employed business person owning your own company, you kind of look to those estimated tax quarterly payments to try and figure out how to make all that work. You know, okay, how much do I have to send them? <laughs> and then you you call your uh, your tax person and say, really? Okay. I had that good of a year, huh? I have to send him that much? Okay. Anyway, uh, I have a fun interview to share with you today. I ran across Chris Reimer several years ago, and I, I wasn't sure exactly where, so we talked about it kind of in the green room, and he had a t-shirt company going uh, and promoted t-shirts online. We're talking 2007, 2008, and I think that's where I, I ran across you. And So I've seen your name, and, and you've done other stuff. He did a book like three four years ago called Happy Work. Uh, and recently, he just uh, released this really cool thing called a Busa tech power pack phone charger probably one of the coolest uh, tech items i've run across in a, in a long time it works really well I, I figured you know i should reach out to chris and you know it'd be worth getting to the bottom of some of these things and, and talk to him so chris obliged with an interview that went in a lot of different directions i think you'll enjoy this i want to welcome chris reimer to trade show guy monday morning coffee chris it's a pleasure to have you on board this morning i really appreciate your time thanks for joining me well, i'm honored to be here and darn i forgot my coffee Oh, no well uh, i've got i 've got plenty so we 're good I think i'll have uh, a water I, I ran across you years ago i 've known your name for years, and it took me a while to figure out it was your t shirt company you did a lot of social media and stuff like that and uh, but you've also had a book out which I think is a year maybe two years old, something like that called happy work, which I thought was interesting and then uh, you 've got a new tech tool net tech goodie let's let 's talk about that so Uh, Let's go back just a little bit to to the t shirt company. What what prompted that? I'm curious. So back in 2007, I was. Oh, ancient days when social media was. I mean,
1: (laughs) dude, that was a long time ago. If you think about it, I mean. Anyway, yeah, in the internet years, that was like 70 years ago. But exactly 2007, I was working at a nonprofit in St. Louis as their chief financial officer. So in my previous. Career, I was a CPA, and gotcha. I was I was one year into my four year term as the CFO of this nonprofit. That was my last accounting job that I ever yep. had. before I switched to be in marketing. So um, I've had an interesting, circuitous uh, <laughs> career filled <suppose, laughs> totally with lots of different things. But uh, so one year in, I'm still I'm still happy at the place. I'm really I'm not thinking I don't want to be an accountant anymore. I really had never used social media at that point, you know. So I wasn't an early adopter. Twitter starting in whatever oh six, Facebook around that time, if not a few years earlier, I was not on either of those. Probably had a LinkedIn, but that was about it. Right. I just, I my birthday was approaching. Uh, my birthday was actually yesterday. So yes,
0: happy birthday! By the so way, thank you. thank you. So, uh,
1: so my birthday was approaching, and I had been. Um, Surfing the internet, and I had been presented some banner ads for Busted Tees and Snorg Tees, which were two right. of the bigger t-shirt yep. companies, which I think are both still around and doing really well. Yep. And it just gave me—I kind of wanted some of them for my birthday. And so we were at um, you know a relatively stressful time in our life. We had our uh, a newborn, our second child. And, you know, I, I don't—I'm not really easy to give gifts to, yeah. so. <laughs> Um, I just told my wife, I said, hey, would you mind, are you cool if I buy some of these shirts, you know, for myself, for my birthday? It could be the present that you give me. And she's like, of course, please, you know. And so I jumped on there. Make it it. easy. It was easy. And, you know, I had four shirts, um, you know, come. And, And it was interesting. Like, when they arrived, the light bulb kind of went off above my head. And I thought, you know, this could be a really interesting business. And... You know, e-commerce obviously was still taking off at that point. Uh, We we were definitely past the point where people questioned whether it was safe to buy things off the internet. I think we were past that at that point. But we were not at the point where it was really easy to build e-commerce websites like it is today via like a Shopify or Squarespace. So we were kind of in this middle zone where I really had to take some money And throw it behind the building of a website. Right, right. It is so so much easier to do it today. But so when I did it then, that was it. The light bulb went off. I said I can do this. And you know, so for approximately twelve months, I worked on designing thirty-two T-shirts and getting them all printed. So we're not doing print on demand there. We're doing like right. inventory them in Chris's basement. Right. And uh, you know the site debuted on November fifth. I think it was fifth, two thousand eight. And mm-hmm. uh, no, no, it was, it was actually Halloween. It was October thirty first. I started on Twitter six days later out of desperation, thinking yeah. start making some friends and selling them. But uh, yeah, that's how I got the idea.
0: Interesting. And you wrote a book. Uh, tell me about Happy Work. That came out, um, what, just a couple of years ago? And, and, and what prompted that? It's the old Larry King question. Why did you write the book?
1: It's my favorite question, actually. So I can, <laughs> I, can I can plug the super gigantic oh, there you go.
0: Perfect. version
1: of it that I have behind me. I have little use for that poster anymore, except for interviews like this. So I, I wrote the book really because of lessons I've learned from my mom from a very early age. So I think that's where it all started. So my mom worked for the U.S. government. She worked for the Army. And, you know, she did not have a college education. I was actually – we just talked about it last night at dinner. You know, she is one of the smartest people you'll ever meet. I mean, it's book street smart, street smart. You want her for trivia night. She's so there good.
0: You. <laughs> but,
1: she, but she didn't, they had, they grew up poor and she hadn't, they just had no college was not a path that she could take at all. And, but, uh, you know, she'd come home and, you know, me and my brother who's five years, uh, my junior, he, you know, she was so good at not complaining about her job and not letting us know that she didn't enjoy it and that there were really bad people there and that it just wasn't a good situation working for the government. No offense to Your listeners who might do so, but it it left something to be desired, I guess. So, you know, even though she was really good at at kind of reserving those feelings and just kind of letting us grow up as kids, not be burdened uh, with life's difficulties, we caught wind still that she didn't like it. And so we did what all kids do. We started asking all of our why questions. Right. Why? Kids are beautiful (laughs) in that they are the most curious among us. And it, Sometimes, I, to me, it's a shame that we as adults don't, uh, you know, continue to ask why questions. That's, yeah, why don't we have that the curiosity? I kind of talk about in the book is like, you should be needling the people who work for you. You should be needling the people you work for. You know, as a team, we should be working together, asking how can we make this better? In what ways can we improve? Why aren't we trying this? Anyway, so when we asked my mom, uh, our mom, I should say, why she didn't like her job, or, or why she didn't just leave it, you know, we were really not happy with her answers. I wasn't anyway, you right. know, she said, well, this is just, you know, this is what parents do, you know, this is, this is my job and we, we didn't understand that she lacked mobility, you know, or that she was working towards, you know, a pension or whatever. It just, it was like, an, you know, being a CPA and having been really good at math, you know, I, I, I liken it to, you know, an unsolved equation
0: It just was left in
1: my head. I didn't understand why my mommy could not be happy at work. (laughs) And it left me questioning things, even in my subconscious, for a long time. And when I joined the working world, I experienced what many people experience. Good jobs, bad jobs. Sure. Supportive bosses. You know what, bosses, <laughs> jerks. And, yeah, jerks. You know, but at the same time, I'll tell anyone who will listen. I've never experienced, you know, the things that some people do—sexual harassment on the job um, and everything that goes downhill from there. I've never right. experienced those things. But yeah. my experiences were certainly relative to me. And when I had bosses who were unsupportive, or you know, and crazy things happened at various jobs, which made their way into the book with some names changed. right? Um, those experiences just spoke to me. And so I wrote the book because I wanted to tell a story of the worst company in the world you could possibly imagine working for. And as it's a piece of fiction, I'm trying to put you in the center of it so that you right. can feel that and understand that even the best people, and Simon Sinek talks about this in various um, speeches he's given. You can take the best people and put them in horrible situations and they will devolve into basically a puddle of goo. Yeah. And you can also take the worst people and you can put them into good situations and they'll pick up their game and they'll improve. Yeah. Not always. Sometimes they I believe they you. Go, yeah. But yeah. It's, so it really can be, you know, if, if it's, if we're talking about the movie Trading Places, it's really is a matter of environment, you know, yeah. that that's, person's going to win the $1 bet, you know, from trading places because you can put people in a good environment and they should thrive. Yeah. And so I've always enjoyed finding places such as where I'm at now, Maryville, where we just thrive for a living here and yeah. we all pick each other up and other jobs I've had, it was literally like a cult that I wasn't a member of. <laughs> And that's a problem. That's a real problem for.
0: That's a challenge. Yeah, and that, a lot of that comes comes from the top down too. You know, it, it's the leadership is is where that really comes from in my experience, and uh, I'm sure so, it's probably similar to you. No, that's
1: fascinating. You say that because I, I'm actually preparing a happy work talk that I have to give next week, and I've been thinking about this because in the book, I don't, I purposely don't take sides in the book. I say this is management's fault. This is workers fault or whatever you want to call it. And I have this thing in the back of the book called the happy work agreement. It's 46 tenths. Um, you know, basically commitments that employers are making to their employees, but then employees are making ones back right. to the employers. Right. And then they jointly make some commitments and, My feelings on this matter have changed. Uh, The book was published in February of 2015. I finished writing it in February of 2014. So the book's almost like, as far as me finishing, it's almost on its five-year anniversary now. Wow, okay. My feelings have evolved uh, on this a little bit. I think that because management kind of holds all the cards, that there probably is 60 to 65% responsibility on their side, if not a little bit more. We do, as managers, we do set the tone. And, you know, it is up to us to, at times, call the shots. It's up to us to use these.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the subtitle is a business parable, a parable about the journey to teamwork, profit, and purpose. So it's interesting that you bring all that in there. And, and it's, not, it's not a, a typical uh, business book where you're basically pontificating. You're, you're, you're writing a, a, a fiction approach to it and, and kind of putting people into the situation. Other, it's, it's, so it's different from that aspect.
1: Uh, that, I think that's true. At the same time, I will say that you know, it's possible that the book could have been shortened a little bit, as <laughs> business parables are usually kind of shortened to the point. And where it could have been shortened, and I've had people tell me this, is in some of the conversations that Charlie, our kind of protagonist in the book, and Sam have. But the reason I left all that in there was on, was on purpose, because I feel like at work, perhaps in our politics, let just look around, that we probably need to spend more time having conversations with each other and more time talking with people with whom we don't always
0: agree. Right, I would agree, yeah. And that's it's tough and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's jumping over a barrier that a lot of people aren't willing to do easily. Um, it's almost as if you have to be forced to do it or see the really good reason to do that uh, and, and you have to buy into the reason. So yeah. And
1: so and exactly. And so what I did with Charlie uh, was who our sort of de facto genius in the mailroom guy was I had him use the power of his words over and over and over to get a character to, in the book, Sam Maslow to kind of see the light. And so instead of being a manager and just telling someone, you know, do as I say, not as I do, or, uh, you know, you're fired. Uh, I had him work through a series of unbeknownst to Sam exercises in a way right. to get him to kind of change his ways. And, Interesting. uh, yeah. So the, the, the realism in that is that if we do spend time chatting with each other a little bit more, we're probably going to be a little bit farther along as far as civility at work, but honestly effectiveness at work. And that's right. where profit comes from. We're being effective at work.
0: Yeah. I, and I have to remind myself, or I do remind myself frequently that you don't know what this person over there has really gone through in the last day or two or week or, 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 what their life is all about. You really don't know. So you can't make assumptions until you talk to them and understand who they are and what their story is. And a lot of people don't take that time to even a think about that or B, uh, you know, figure out what that person has gone through to understand what, what their context is.
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah. I mean my favorite yeah. saying, you know, everyone's fighting a battle about which you yeah. know nothing
0: you should know nothing um, yeah
1: and that and that that happens here at work that happened here at work y- yesterday to me you know yeah. where there was a situation when I was a little irritated about when I found out what was behind what I perceived to be things certain kind of misfiring I realized oh that the reason they're misfiring is that like we're trying to do... 10 hours of work in five hours so to speak, you know? <laughs> and we're doing our best. We're punching above our weight a little bit in certain areas. Yeah. And that's why certain things maybe aren't going exactly as I thought they should, you know, right. but all I had to do is sit down with one of the people who I thought was screwing up and I found out the real student. And yeah. so,
0: yeah. Well, cool. The book's called happy work. I want to switch gears and talk about this uh, I, I, on your email list somehow. And you, you have this, uh, piece of technology. And my first thought was, there you go. Um, <laughs> First of all, there's so many other options out there for this. Where, just tell me the story. What what happened here?
1: Uh, I love your question because indeed, there's no shortage of competition. Right. And uh, one of my marketing slash author heroes, David Merriman Scott, who wrote yep. uh, the New Rules of Marketing and PR, which was the first real marketing book I ever read. He. Purchased a Busa, a portable phone charger from me the other day. And I just, you know, it's like a really proud moment for me. And he tweeted about it. And <laughs> yeah, of course. Somebody, which I really appreciated uh, because it drew, drove traffic to my side. But one guy right after it, it was uh, some kind of doctor or something. It looked, looked like an influential guy on Twitter. He said, Hasn't this been done? <laughs> that was his tweet. And I was actually kind of pissed about it. Like I, I don't deal with negativity very well yet. And so, I was like, aren't there other doctors? You know, I just was, it wasn't a happy (laughs) moment. But the truth is, it has been done before. I am not an inventor. But what happened here was, one, I am using these power banks on just a constant basis. I'm at work here, so I've got work phone, I got personal phone. As I'm doing social media constantly for all of my causes, uh, I'm burning these batteries down. I have too yeah. much screen time, basically. and I'm burning yeah. these batteries yeah. down. I can't afford to be down. So it was the kind of the same thing with the T-shirts, where once I started using one, I thought to myself, this is, I could do this. But yeah. the way to do it, for me, was to try to throw a little bit of a twist on it. So from an electronics standpoint, one thing I'm trying to do is offer you something that you ha- you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. So a couple of the things about... Uh, this first model of Busa that you have there. Thank you so much. Yep. For your I love it, by the way. Uh, it, 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 it fits in your hand really well. It has rounded edges. Uh, it has kind of a grip on it via this uh, kind of rubbery outer coating, so it's not going to slip out of your hand. Uh, as far as electronics go, I would say it's, it's above average as far as attractiveness goes. Uh, it has two ports on top. It's also got a USB-C port on top, so it's three ports. Uh, so you can charge two iPhones and an Android in the middle if you want. Um, lightweight. So it, it offers a, oh, and it's all, the thing that I like too, always on charging. So when you plug it in, it turns itself on. You don't have to remember to hit the button. These things might all sound kind of inconsequential, but to me, when I was able to put them all together it made for a power bank that I can be proud to use every day and I can plug it in. I know my phone's going to charge
0: Yeah,
1: uh, a unique set of features. Let's put it that way. Um, so f- the other thing that I saw kind of missing from my billion dollar competitors like anchor <laughs> and MoFi <Mophie laughs> and Belkin is just a lack of the kind of marketing that I like to do, you know, especially from my, seat here as a the only employee of the company. Uh it's right. kind of the like grassroots fun, you know, like let's show buses out in the wild, you know. So I've right. got buses at the equator in Uganda and one over in Lake Como and one, you know, in Paris twice. And I like showing those things off. There may be, there may come a day where we're a billion dollar company and I'm not worrying about pictures anymore from from people's travels. But this is the part of the chase that I really like. Yeah, you know, is creating content that puts you at Lake Como. I want you to go travel, man. If you're not traveling, I want you to go travel. Yeah, travel. Travel changes a person. It changes. It does. It It softens you up to the world. It makes you question yourself. It's fun to be uncomfortable. You know, Anthony Bourdain used to talk about Tokyo as being one of the most amazing places in the world because it's like the place where he was most uncomfortable. (laughs) So, you know, and when you go do those things. If you want to take your booster with you, I'd totally appreciate it. So I, I just didn't see anyone marketing them in such a way. Uh, so I wanted to give it a try. And it's been well, super fun.
0: Another, another question I have is is the the build of this, you know, how it's manufactured, where the design of it, uh, it it's, it's unique to me. And so there's got to be a backstory on how that all came together. A story yeah, of some so, sort.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, when I came up with – When I decided that this might be something worth trying, I had a lot of different ideas about what I thought I wanted to see in a power bank. And when I started reaching out to manufacturers in China, in the Shenzhen, China is where 99% of the world's batteries are made, and therefore where most power banks or portable phone chargers are made. When I started reaching out to these uh, manufacturers and started receiving samples of what they're able to make, my feelings on what I thought was going to make a great power bank changed. So for instance, I was pretty convinced that um, in order to be able to tell how much power your power bank has left, that a digital readout was the way to go. Because on your power bank that you have there, there's a little button on the side with yep. four lights. Yes. And I thought, well, okay, so if there's three lights left, does that mean 75%, does it mean 70? Let's give people a digital readout. Well, once I received them and I started playing with them, my feelings on it changed. I thought this is actually taking away, in my mind, from the elegance of the product to some degree. And so clearly not having quite as much talent as like a Johnny Ive, Apple or whatever, I was trying to think about the design and how it could, Like, help you without getting in the way. Like, something that you wouldn't mind having sit on a table if you were in a meeting. Like, it had to be halfway decent looking. I didn't want it to be ugly, you know? I wanted it to be something that, like, was almost as cool as your phone, you know? And so, reaching out to those manufacturers and then testing their products, I found something really interesting. Um, You know, I started using these power banks all day, every day. So, they were... my, I went for months without actually ever plugging my phone into a wall outlet. Like it was completely powered by the power banks. Interesting. Cause I had to use them to test them, you know? And so sure. what I found was, and then obviously looking on Amazon and, you know, kind of stalking some of my competitors, I found that with a 10,000 milliamp power bank, you should be getting on a standard size iPhone three plus charges and uh, you know, from zero to a hundred, three times at least. And I noticed that some of the power banks were only giving me like two charges. And I thought to myself, I don't think they put the right amount of batteries in this. I think, yeah, I, might have, I, think I might have kind of a promotional good or a toy here instead of an actual, like well engineered product. And so right. I, was able to, I was able to kind of weed those manufacturers out. And I, I came upon a particular manufacturer who made something that was just rock solid. And it's extremely close to what you have there. I was able to get it customized with regard to color and the rubber outer coating. Right. Yeah. That. But um, yeah, once I landed on one that I, you know, that I was really happy with the quality, I ordered more samples and tested those as well, just to make sure I wasn't, you know, dealing with flukes or whatever. And ultimately right. I was pleased. Uh, and so that's how that all got started.
0: So how did you go to market with it? And then we'll wrap it up at that point.
1: Yeah. So yeah, my entire game plan was to sell these exclusively on Amazon. There's two things. And then another reason too, that I thought, you know, this was a great business is that there's two things in my opinion that for at least the next 10 years are not going anywhere and it's mobile and it's right. Amazon. So I thought, okay, I'm going to sell these exclusively on Amazon. Amazon prime is totally amazing. Everyone's going to be ordering these and two day shipping and all that. But then Once I had, uh, and I went through like this multi-layered, um, you know, super fine tooth comb approval process with Amazon to the point where, you know, they don't just let anyone ship stuff to their warehouse. You know, you have to be completely and totally approved to do so.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure.
1: And they want to know exactly what's coming. I mean like the dimensions, the weight, everything, ounces of lithium in each battery. I mean it was really exhaustive. Uh, once my inventory was at their warehouses, it did not go for sale. And I started inquiring as to why it wasn't going for sale. And it turns out that they changed the rules on power banks after my power banks were in their warehouse. And they changed it to a restricted category and refused to grandfather me in. And just a quick funny story, I was talking with someone there who was trying to help. And I was like, I'm really at a loss here. I can't believe you guys are doing this. What should I do next? I mean, do you have any advice at all? And she said, do this and do this and do this. And she said, and email Jeff. And I was like, Jeff who? <laughs> she said, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and I was like, F, why not? What's his email address? Yeah, what, what have I got to, to lose? Amazon.com, right? of course. And I was like, great. I'm going to send Jeff at Amazon.com a sternly worded letter. I'm sure this will work. And it didn't. And so I was uh, forced to do a removal order. I pulled everything out Hmm. scrapped my WordPress site and built a Shopify site myself, and I warehoused them in my office at home. My site went live, and one day later, Amazon sent me an email and said, this is 30 to 40 days later, our escalation team has finally looked at your case, and you are now approved to sell power banks (laughs) the day after my (laughs) site went live. And I'm like, I've left your cuckoo clock. I'm not living in crazy town anymore with you. I'm out. Interesting, interesting. I may go back on Amazon, but right now it's, um, I pack them myself. I write thank you notes to everyone and I'm having a super good time
0: doing it. Yeah. That's exactly what, uh, what I got out of it. So, uh, I thought it was really cool anyway. So I appreciate your time, Chris. It's been fun to learn about the book and about the power bank and how that all came about. It was just curious when I, when I, when I saw that and that came in, I thought, you know, this is worth a chat. Let's, let's put this on the, the podcast slash video blog. So Chris, thanks for your time. So, uh, yeah, how do you, how do we track these things down? What's the best way to do that? Well, if you're interested in checking
1: out the power bank that Tim was uh, so graciously bought, you can go to so boosatech.com. So B O O S A T E C H.com. Okay. And if you want to say Hey to me, come find me on Twitter at Chris Reimer.
0: All right. And the book is, uh, it's on Amazon, but is there another website you have for the book? I'm just curious.
1: The book is very ironically on Amazon. You should definitely, <laughs> I, I appreciate Amazon for that. It's on Amazon. When you search happy work, just put it together as one word. And you'll One find
0: word. Okay. Gotcha. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for joining me again. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Chris uh, for joining me on the show. Uh, the trade show guy, Monday morning coffee. Um, be sure to check out his book, happy work and the BUSA tech battery pack. Some really cool stuff. This week's trade show Uh, Tip of the week comes from the Trade Show Superheroes and Exhibiting Zombies book. Uh, It's a list called Seven Ways to Make Sure Your Trade Show Exhibiting Experience Sucks. You know, I think we can learn from bad examples as well as good. And we see a lot of bad examples at trade shows all the time. It's amazing. It happens. People spend thousands and thousands of dollars going to trade shows and and they do things that don't work. Uh, Number one, don't have a plan. Uh, You know, like next time you go to a, a trade show try and walk the floor and see if you can figure out which people are actually there with a plan in which you're just kind of showed up to do something. They weren't sure what. Uh, if they have a fish bowl and are giving away an iPad to some random visitor who tosses a business card into the bowl, you can pretty well bet they don't really have a plan because all those business cards are not potential clients. They're just people that want stuff. So, so they're probably going to buy anything. So, uh, number two, don't train your booth staff. Uh, how to tell if a booth staff is not trained. Well, you know, they're eating a sandwich. They're on their phone. They're sitting there with their arms folded and they're not looking at people. They're sitting in the back of the booth on the chair talking with another coworker. They don't have a plan. Uh, and they don't have a trained booth staff. Number three, they didn't do any pre-show marketing. Uh, if you don't let people know you're at the show, uh, you're leaving much more to chance. I mean, they really the channels, are emails, uh, phone calls, postcards, contacting media, doing PR Uh, social media, all that stuff uh, works. And together, if you do a lot of it, it works much better. Number four, don't let your staffers know what's going on other than the bare minimum. Uh, This is somewhat different than booth staff training, but falls kind of under that same um umbrella. Uh, Those staffers should understand the reason behind your appearance at the show, uh, the overall show goals, and other pertinent information. It'll make for a more successful experience because they'll have buy-in to why you're doing it indeed. Uh, number five, don't have a booth that accurately and fully represents your brand. A lot of exhibitors kind of just pick one. I like that one. Let's do it. But does it doesn't really fit their brand? And that's something that you have to get into with a 3D exhibit designer and who understands your brand. Some brands pull this off really well. A lot of brands don't. Number six, don't have a specific lead generation system in place. Uh, think about it. You have a limited time at the show to capture information from potential clients or customers. How are you going to capture that information? What information are you going to capture? So number seven, uh, you don't have a good follow-up system in place. So you've gotten that far. You've gotten the booth staff training. You've gotten the lead capture place, the lead generation. You've done the pre-show marketing, whatever. You have a good booth. But if you don't follow up on all of those leads you captured, like most companies really don't, uh, what was the point? <laughs> That's Kind of what I think. So there you go. That's from trade show superheroes and exhibiting zombies. You'll, you'll, I think you'll like it. One good thing, another book. Oh, uh, one good thing this week is a book that I'm about halfway through. It's uh, by Philip Roth, uh, the guy that wrote Portnoy's Complaint. Sold a bajillion of those back in what the '60s or '70s, and almost wishes he'd never written that one. But uh, he's become he he was one of the he died I think earlier this year one of the great novelists of America. And this is called The Plot Against America, uh, which imagines that in 1940, uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh won the election over FDR. And what might have happened had that uh, actually ensued. So it's a fascinating book. As uh, the New York Times Book Review says, a terrific political novel, sinister, vivid, dreamlike, creepily plausible you turn the pages, astonished and frightening, told through the eyes of a 12-year-old boy by the name of Philip Roth. It's fiction, but you know that's what he did with his books. So I think you'll like that. It's interesting. It has a lot of echoes of of politics today. Not that I want to get political, but that's just. It's a great book, and and Philip knows how to write. So that's it. The plot against uh, America, Philip Roth, and that's the show. The trade show guy, Monday morning coffee. Hope you enjoyed it, and I'll uh, well, join me again next week here.